Today, I'm very honored and blessed to be with a most amazing lady called Marika Rodenstein. And she is a holistic dietitian, nutritionist, and functional medicine practitioner with over 15 years experience. She has worked in the Netherlands, in India, and Sydney. And for the last 15 years, she has run her own practice in Melbourne. And recently, I got introduced um, to Marika by a communal friend who is also an incredible lady. And she has um, founded Star Annecy Organics and also the Broth Larder Bar. So I'm so super excited to chat with you today. So welcome to Wellness Spring, Marika. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me as your guest on your podcast. I really appreciate being here. Absolute pleasure. And um, could you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Because I know you've led an extremely um, interesting journey to date. So we all know your secrets and behind the scenes. You can let us know maybe about your yes. family and education, etc. Sure. So like many um, practitioners in the field, I, I went on this path due to my own health issues. So as a teenager, I was an elite level distance runner and triathlete. And this was in the 90s when you know it was all about low fat. And so I very dutifully followed a very, very low fat, very high carb diet. Um, I didn't even eat an olive because I thought there was too much fat in it. Um, and so I was really, you know, carb loading, constantly just eating pasta and bread and wheat bix. Um, and I was doing fairly well for a period of time. Um, however, of course, due to undernourishing my body and also overtraining, which I was very much uh, guilty of, I started to run into a lot of um, health issues. And it started by I first lost my periods because I had very low body fat percentage. And then I got stress fractures in my femur, which is the thickest bone in the body. I had stress fractures on both femurs because of a very poor bone density due to not having my periods and, of course, um, not eating a, a nourishing uh, diet. And then I started to experience a lot of gut issues, again, because I was eating a, an immense amount of very difficult to digest grains as recommended to me by a, a dietitian at the time. And my mental health started to be affected as well, because of course I wasn't nourishing my brain as well as my body. So I started to experience anxiety and depression. And I um, actually did end up getting anorexia and then that flipped into bulimia and I also suffered from chronic fatigue for many years. So I should have been at the prime of my life being in my teens and early 20s, but instead my um, health was in a really bad way. And I went down the conventional route for a while. I took the contraceptive pill to try and balance my hormones. I went on antidepressants to try and um, deal with my depression and anxiety. I continued to follow uh, you know, a kind of a conventional um, food pyramid based diet as approved by a dietitian, you know, very heavy in grains, still not a lot of fat. Um, but my health continued to fail. And so that's when I decided I would take my health into my own hands. 
And it was actually my, my father that introduced me to the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, who was an American dentist who in the 30s traveled around the world to various traditional cultures and studied the traditional diets and the health of these people. And he wrote the incredible book, um, Nutrition and F Physical Degeneration, which uh, when I got that read from cover to cover and it really resonated with me. So I decided to apply the principles of these traditional diets. Um, I'm originally from Holland. I was born in the US, but grew up in Australia, but my ancestry is Dutch. So I kind of um, relied more on the Western European or traditional Dutch diets, which was quite challenging because of course I, I didn't um, eat any fat previously. I was on the no fat milk and uh, margarine and um, I went to back to eating butter and full fat cheese and um, you know I introduced coconut oil and I would eat the fat on my meat so that was a, a really big shift for me but by actually implementing um, whole foods and really reducing my intake of grains and increasing my intake of healthy um, fats I um, started to improve not only physically but mentally as well um, and then I became really interested in gut health because when I had bulimia I was um, using and abusing a lot of laxatives and really devastated my gut um, in a pretty significant way and became very dependent actually on laxatives to be able to pass bowel motions and although I achieved a lot of benefits from the ancestral diet I had applied I still needed to do a lot of work and so that's when I became really interested in gut health and um, it was actually at a Western A. Price conference in the US where I met Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride who had just written the GAPS book Gut and Psychology syndrome and um, again that really resonated with me and I started to apply a lot of those principles. Gut health was very much still kind of at its infancy then compared to all the information we know about it now. Um, but yeah that you know led me by applying all of those principles led me to um, having much more vibrant health both physically and mentally and, and I decided I really wanted to study um, nutrition and I wanted to uh, be able to help people in in um, in the best way possible. And so I wanted to study dietetics, even though I knew it was going to be challenging because I obviously had already formed my view and philosophy on nutrition, which is very different, different to the conventional dietetic paradigm. Um, I did actually study in the Netherlands. Um, they, they have, they're not quite as rigid um, there with their dietary philosophy. So I think it was much easier studying there than it would have been here. Um, but I managed to get through and qualify as a dietitian and since have become a GAPS practitioner. And two years ago, I studied functional medicine through the Cressa Institute in the US. So um, yeah, that's kind of what led me to where I am. And I have worked, as you mentioned, in different countries. Um, just after graduating, I worked in India for a year and a half because my husband, who's also Dutch, um, was uh, had a, a job. He was setting up the outsourcing department of a IT company there. So I worked as a volunteer dietitian in a hospital and also in the community with victims of fluorosis. And then um, we moved back to Holland and then I convinced my husband to move to Australia and we've been here ever since. That was since 2008 that we moved back here. So, yeah. Wow, you're certainly a person of the world and you covered so much information then. So I'm going to try and remember it all and break it down a bit. So 
Um, starting with my background, um, as many of the listeners know, is in sports medicine, sports massage, and we covered some nutrition there as well. And through working with um, all athletes of various ages, and I've done psych nursing and psych K and many other things, I'm addicted to what makes people tick. And just working with athletes, it was so amazing of all levels. It didn't matter if they're a club athlete or an Olympic athlete. Psychologically, they go through the same thing. They, if they don't perform, they feel they're letting down their family and friends, the club members, the team members, if they're team sports. But as you know, just even if you're a solo athlete, there's so many people attached to you, having been a triathlete. And I know for myself from over-exercising when I was young, you know, my period stopped and so forth. And just through all clients, and we come from a very sporty family, it's so easy to overtrain and put yourself under pressure and suffer with depression. So it was interesting to hear and anxiety because it's like the stress they go through just to perform, you know, and the lead up to it and the build up is so much, you know, and then you've got your schoolwork on top or studying for exams and all that pressure. So um, it was interesting that you said that, um, that by changing your diet, it also helped to change your brain waves and your thoughts. It just reminded me now of a lovely quote from Hippocrates saying, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. So I personally, right. yeah, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, he also um, had the a very famous quote that all disease begins in the gut and there is such a strong connection between the gut and the brain you know we call it the gut brain axis and there are actually more messages that go from the gut to the brain than from the brain to the gut and um, I think a lot of my um, mental health issues stemmed externally from the pressures that I experienced but also internally from the fact that you know I was chronically constipated and so I had all these toxins building up in my gut which of course would would affect the brain and the more constipated I became the more toxic in my gut the more um, mental health issues the more severe they would be so um, yeah definitely let food be thy medicine and all disease begins in the gut are definitely things that I um, absolutely believe in and see the evidence of every day in my practice yeah, totally agree. And I, um, because a lot of books have written that the gut is our new brain, it's our real brain, and it's the seat yeah. for all our emotions where we hold a lot of our fears and worries. And especially now while we're going through the pandemic, so everybody yeah. is picking up on the global fear. So, um, you also mentioned about um, GAPS. Could you tell yes. the audience what is GAPS? 
Yeah, so GAPS is short for gut and psychology syndrome. So Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride originally developed um, the GAPS program, which is primarily a, a dietary based program um, to help children on the spectrum. Um, but it has since been used to treat all sorts of um, gut related or mental health issues um, more than just um, children on the spectrum. So it really is all about um, healing the gut. So when it comes to gut health, there are two closely related variables that determine your gut health. One is the balance of microbes and the other is the, the integrity of the gut lining. So the GAPS protocol aims to help improve the balance of microbes in the gut and then also really improve the integrity of the gut lining. So um, you eliminate a lot of the difficult to digest foods and inflammatory foods. So things like gluten, uh, dairy initially, um, and you introduce a lot of really healing foods like bone broths and fermented foods. Um, so it's a really wonderful healing protocol, but it's, there is, you know, there, I believe there is no one size fits all. So even with the GAPS diet, I do tend to tweak it quite significantly for each individual client, because no matter how wonderful a protocol is, it's not going to be suitable for every single individual. And it's the same with ancestral diets that, you know, you have to look at each individual case and then um, tweak the diet to suit that individual person. Yeah, I know there's um, like a lot of um, people love their grandmother's rem remedies and recipes and they're very comforting. And I think because years ago when a lot of our ancestors were growing up, they would follow whatever food because I guess in the beginning there wasn't fridges and things like that to keep the food cool. So everything was fresh. So, you know, fresh animals, they probably grew a lot, had their own animals and chickens and eggs and so forth, and um, also growing their own vegetables. And then in the winter, mm -hmm. you'd have all the good earthy foods and warming foods and so forth. So what's your take on eating foods that are fresh and in season? Because now we can get foods from around the world. Well, we could before um, the limitations of um, the planes being stopped, etc. Yeah, I'm a really big advocate of eating as locally and seasonally as possible um, because foods that are grown in season are always going to be, and this has been um, shown in scientific studies, they're always much more nutrient dense. Um, they have more vitamins and minerals um, than food that's grown somewhere out of season. Um, and flavor is another really big one there. But I really encourage people to buy locally to support local farms. And when you buy locally and, and you support farms that don't use chemical inputs, so they're um, you know really focusing on soil health, regenerative farming, you're kind of voting with your dollar. So you're supporting these farms and, and um, in supporting the environment at the same time, and then also potentially encouraging other farmers to implement similar practices. Um, and it's also a really great way to increase the diversity of the food you're eating, because if you're eating seasonally, you're going to be eating a whole range of different foods over the year, whereas typically, um, I know certainly for a lot of uh, children that, you know, they might have four or five vegetables in total that they would eat, and they would eat that you know, multiple times a week, every week of the year, but don't 
you know, venture beyond that. And, and I know a lot of parents say, oh, my child eats plenty of vegetables or they themselves will say, oh, I eat lots of vegetables, but actually the diversity isn't there. And that's really key to creating a really healthy, diverse microbiome, which ultimately will um, create a really healthy individual. So yeah, I'm a huge advocate of local and seasonal as much as that is possible and supporting farmers markets it's a really pleasant way of, of shopping too. Um, it's much more pleasant to go to a farmer's market and chat and interact with people and buy beautiful produce than it is just going to, you know, a local supermarket. Yeah, where I was living in France, um, a lot of the local farmers would come down to the city in Nice and have different days for the farmer's market. And for some of us who are too busy to go out to the market and shop, you could have a basket delivered every week. So I oh. particularly, I love that because I would never know what I was getting in the basket. So each week, you know, whatever is in season that day or he's got plenty of would be in the basket. So not only would it be locally grown, but it'd be a surprise as well. And I think that that's, yeah. Right. And it yeah. gets you to step out of your comfort zone and look at recipes and try new flavors. And I heard you mention earlier as well about gluten-free and various, various other diets, because today I think it's a struggle. My husband's niece, for example, in Melbourne, she, um, she was losing weight, she was seeing the doctor, she was vomiting, been waking up in the middle of the night, she'd have gut pains, nausea, vomiting. And they found out that she was intolerant to glucose. Um, someone in Australia has discovered um, FODMAP and they've mm. written a book on it and she follows the FODMAP and she's like a completely different person because Last year we came out when we had the terrible fires here. So we were around mm -hmm. December and January and she was like a walking skeleton and she's never been a big person. And this year we managed to see her a couple of months ago and she's a picture of vibrant health. And not only that, like you're saying, by change your diet, she is sleeping better. She's um, able to study and remember what she's studying. She's doing exercise and the list goes on. She, she feels like she's regained her life back because she, she yeah. used to say that the whole family was worried. I've got goosebumps now because she was saying, I really don't want to live anymore because you know, I'm vomiting every day. What's going on? Why can't the doctors find out what's wrong with me? And like you, she's seen lots of nutritionalists and dietitians, and nobody could find out why until someone finally put her in touch with this expert who gave her um, a load of tests. And she yeah. discovered that she was um, low in glucose. And it's good because you're constantly assessing, you know, you give your body a break of something for a few months and then you can gradually increase. But I think she's too frightened to, to include anything else because she was so sick before. So what do people um, typically come to see you? What is your speciality? Because there's so many different people out there. It's scary to know who do I go to? Yes, that's right. So I primarily specialize in gut related issues, which 
um, really includes many, many different issues. So I see a lot of children on the spectrum or young or um, adults with um, allergies, whether it be food uh, intolerances or other. Um, I see a lot of people with autoimmune conditions, which again has its roots in the gut um, and depression and anxiety. Um, I see an, a number of people with cancer, um, infertility. I, I do see a whole range of different clients, um, but primarily um, clients who do have their issues kind of rooted in, in the gut. The gut really is um, like the roots of a tree. You know, if you imagine a tree, the healthy, the health of every single branch, every leaf, every twig is dependent on the health of the root system. And that's how I view the gut. You know, the health of every organ system, whether it be the skin, the brain, or the adrenals, um, is dependent on the health of the gut. And so that's generally where I kind of start when I work with individuals, particularly when I can see there is this gut-related component. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated, um, by gut health and I do a lot of microbiome testing. I talk a lot about, um, uh, poo in my <laughs> consultations. I encourage people to look at their stools because it is, gives you such a great window into your, your health. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know what you mean because I used to be a registered nurse and we'd have to look at the color the density and, you know, the shape and size and the list goes on and, you know, and if clients called us, we'd have to ask them, was it floating or did it sink and all sorts of questions <laughs> and <laughs> which it can be embarrassing, but when you're a nurse and doing it every day, you don't even blink an eyelid. It's the poor client that feels so embarrassed having to talk about it. And, um, yeah. Good to have discussions about it, and I always encourage when I have parents to talk to their kids and ask their kids, so "What are your stools looking like?" Or even having a look because it, it, you know, a lot of people have no idea what they look like, what their own stools look like, or their children's stools. And when they actually start to have a look, they realize, "Oh, it's actually really loose, or it's very floaty, or it's really pale," and that can give me as a practitioner a really good indication as to what might be going on or what we need to investigate further. Yeah, and. What would be a typical session? Say if I came to see you or anyone, is it different if you're a child or teenager or sporty or what, what would happen? Because you mentioned you yeah. do a lot of tests. So I'm just curious what tests and things you do and if you could explain what tests. Yeah, so I, um, it really does vary depending on the individual. I'm very flexible in the way that I work. I don't kind of have a set a protocol or a set number of sessions that I have to have with individuals. I really um, look at what their needs are and kind of adapt to that. So generally a first consultation prior to that, I always send out a health assessment form and a food diary. And that just gives me a really good um, overview of their health symptoms and also what they're eating. And then during the first session, we'll discuss um, their current health complaints, their health history, also family health history can also um, be uh, of interest and then also what their main goals are and what's going to be achievable too because I could come up with what I think is a brilliant plan to help someone improve their health but if it's not going to be achievable or sustainable for them it's not going to be worthwhile so that's a really big part of it as well so generally after the first consultation I'll kind of decide okay perhaps we need to do some testing so I'll either send them back to their GP for blood tests for example 
or I'll, um, if I do think there's a significant gut related component, I will get them to do a microbiome test. Um, so there's numerous microbiome tests that you can do here in Australia and all around the world, really. Um, and it's really non-invasive. You just um, uh, collect a small sample of your stool, pop it in a special envelope and pop it in the post and that goes to the lab and then they culture it for a week or two. Um, and so generally either blood tests or microbiome tests or sometimes if someone has a, a significant stress or adrenal issues, I might recommend some uh, cortisol, so I read cortisol or hormone profiles, so depending on the individual. Um, and then follow-up consultations will be, you know, really looking at those results and then tailoring a really specific dietary and supplementation plan to help address those results, but also overall symptoms. Um, so that's kind of generally, yeah, how I, how I work. Fantastic. And earlier you mentioned when you were a triathlete, um, the type of diet that you were having, what would be a good diet for triathletes, for example, today? Because everything has changed with scientific research. That's right. Yeah. So again, um, it would depend a little bit on the individual. Um, certainly carbohydrates are important um, for endurance uh, athletes. Um, but I would um, much prefer people rely on um, starchy vegetables and perhaps some gluten-free grains and they would, you know, just pounding the pasta and the bread and the wheat bix like I used to do. So I often recommend um, lots of starchy vegetables, um, good quality seasonal fruit, um, and then on top of that, really good quality fats and proteins. Um, so quite different than what we typically see in sort of the food pyramid where you have five serves of grains and, um, and very little fat. Uh, but again, every individual is a little bit different. So it would depend on, yeah, their own, you know, unique um, biochemistry, any uh, underlying deficiencies, how much training they do, what their, you know, goals are in terms of muscle mass and weight. So, yeah, I kind of alter it a little bit, but basically it's a bit of an ancestral paleotype approach, but I don't shy away from good quality dairy and I don't shy away from gluten-free grains. And if someone can handle gluten really effectively, then I definitely don't shy away from good quality sourdough bread, for example, traditionally fermented. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's so many different types of diets out there. For example, I'm a vegan for various right. reasons. And yeah. it's about, you know, um, what would be your take like, because people say to me, how do you get your protein? And people get obsessed with, you know, that's the first thing people say to me, how can you manage? And I'm probably healthier and got far more energy from all my friends of all different ages and backgrounds. And they're amazed. And I just say, well, Google world champion athletes who are vegan, and then think about how much energy they put into their training and they are still super fit and healthy. So, and then you've got a Veda who will say, go with your body type and so forth. And I know you keep talking ab about ancestors and some people will say only raw diet. A Veda seems to be more cooked diet. So how do you um, marry them all together then for want of a better word? 
Yeah, so definitely, again, it's, um, it's it, for me, it all comes down to really taking a very detailed um, health assessment and health history. Um, that's really, really important to decide as to what someone's needs are and always having um, thorough blood tests done through the GP is very handy as well, just looking at iron, uh, all the basic things, of course. Um, and then also, you know, a big part of it is um, someone's wants and, and needs, because if you, um, you know, have a certain philosophy on food and someone's telling you, no, that's not right for you, you need to eat differently, then when they start eating differently, they, they might approach that in a really negative way. And I always, you know, um, believe that the, your attitude towards food really affects how it is digested and assimilated. Um, so I always, you know, say you, you're better off eating the right food with the, um, so you're better off eating the wrong food with the right attitude than the right food with the wrong attitude, because how, you, what you project onto your food is going to make a big difference. So that's what I take into account as well. So, um, you know, there are people who can maintain really good health being on a vegan diet, but there are also many, many people who can't. And sometimes that's really difficult for people to admit, especially if they follow that diet for ethical reasons. Um, so, you know, that, that sometimes is quite challenging because I do, I have had many, many clients who have followed a vegan diet, particularly when they're in their reproductive years. Um, that's when I find it is most challenging, um, particularly in terms of conceiving. Um, and maintaining healthy pregnancies. But again, some people can do that really effectively, but it's not for everybody. So again, it really comes down to the, the individual. And that's why I think working with practitioners is very important because you could, you know, have a bookcase full of books on, you know, this diet and that diet, but there is no single diet that is going to be uh, appropriate for everybody. And so that's where it's really tuning into your own self and being open-minded to, um, you know, really explore different avenues and working with a practitioner who does tests. I think it's better to test rather than guess. It's always better to have some information on which you can base some sound dietary advice on. I totally agree. I'm all for that. And I'm all for collaborating with, you know, because most health practitioners work alone and it's nice to have someone in a similar field, but doing something different that you can collaborate with and discuss and, you know, see, you know, I've tried this, maybe you can help me. And you talked about vitamins and um, in France, and I think it's globally a problem with a lack of vitamin D. So for example, yeah. we can, we can um, get tested. We just go into a lab and ask, can, can you um, take my blood for vitamin D? You don't need a prescription or anything for it. So you can have that done twice a year because I know there's a long string of symptoms. It could be a lot that you mentioned with your bad diet and much more hormonal problems and depression, tiredness, fatigue, not sleeping, etc. And um, what is your take on that? Yeah, so vitamin D is such a crucial vitamin and there is a chronic deficiency of vitamin D, even in a country like Australia, which my Dutch friends and colleagues can't believe because they say, you've got so much sunshine. 
you know, the slip slop slap campaign was a little bit too effective here. And now we've yeah. all become very phobic because the best way to generate vitamin D is on the skin from um, sunlight. Obviously you want to have safe sun exposure. So you don't want to go out, um, you know, be in your office under artificial light every single day and then have a holiday to Queensland or Bali and just bake in the sun. That's not sensible. Yeah. Um, but really trying daily if possible to expose at least 20% of your skin to the sunlight for a short period of time is really important to get enough vitamin D. And um, in a state like Victoria, it is quite difficult to maintain adequate vitamin D levels in the winter months. So then I always recommend supplementing with a whole food source of vitamin D, which is cod liver oil. Vitamin D in nature is never found in isolation. It's always coupled with vitamin A, which is really, really important for vitamin D absorption. So that's why I recommend um, cod liver oil because it's a whole food source. Your body recognizes it as a whole food and it has those synergistic, the combination of the vitamin A and D. And if someone is really chronically low in vitamin D, I'll recommend adding some vitamin D, a vitamin D supplement, often vitamin D K2 um, to the cod liver oil. So you're still getting that synergistic combination but i it's one of the um first things i always recommend um if i I recommend to clients that they have a blood test. I always recommend they include vitamin d and it's interesting you know we've just come out of summer um, but we've not had a great summer here in victoria and of course prior to that we were all in lockdown and i'm seeing chronic vitamin d deficiency um, levels well below 50 um, which is really really concerning given that we're now heading into the winter and vitamin d is so important for the immune system and if you're deficient in vitamin d you're much more prone to getting colds and flus and they have shown that you're more prone to getting COVID and also having um, greater um, morbidity issues with uh, COVID-19 as well. So um, it, I think it's a real problem and, and it, it's something that I think really needs to be addressed. But at the moment, I'm not really hearing much about it. It's not being promoted um, for people to check vitamin D or supplement with vitamin D. Um, and so I'm really worried actually what's going to happen this, this winter season because there are so many people chronic de deficient. And it has also been shown that if you're deficient in vitamin D, your risk of certain cancers increases by about 50%, which is just astronomical. So breast cancer, bowel cancer, um, lung cancer, prostate, they have all been shown to, um, you're at greater risk of, of getting those cancers if you're vitamin D deficient. So um, yeah, such a great uh, point to raise that it's, it's a really, really crucial vitamin that we all need to get enough of, but haven't been. Yes, and, and I know it's actually, a, even though we're saying vitamin, it's actually a hormone. So we need it. Yeah. it it's good for regulating yeah. everything. Um, because we're yeah. talking about different diets and things, and you mentioned COVID. So I've been teaching people how to breathe properly. And luckily for me, I've been teaching breathing for years and luckily now there's many scientific research because um, our ancestors, as you mentioned ancestors, um, just even a hundred years ago, they had a far better diet than we have today. And also yeah. their teeth are a lot better than ours, the children being born now. And I know for myself, for example, I've got a long narrow face, but my jaw was too small. So I had about eight teeth extractions 
with my wisdom teeth and some back teeth, you know, over the years and had to wear a brace, had crooked teeth. And I know from the researchers, a great scientific scientist journalist called James Nestor, and he's been involved with so much to do with um, breath work and how we get nasal problems and sinusitis and things like that and sleep apnea and all the things that we mentioned can go to not breathing properly and they also say we can correct a lot of our problems by chewing our food so properly so a lot of people today, the diet has changed from, I know you probably promote smoothies, but we have smoothies and liquid foods, the juicing, and we're not chewing. We're not chewing those nice crunchy foods. And when we do chew, because when you think about it, when we stress, we grind our teeth. At night, people are grinding their teeth. And, you know, when that stimulates the autonomic sympathetic nerves when we chew if we can chew on one side and then on the other side it will stimulate the parasympathetic nerves and when yeah. i teach meditation you know i do a, an eating meditation whether it's in a workshop for meditation or reiki and i always add crunchy food so i get people we do it in a group but we avoid eye contact and we eat in silence because I want people, because a lot of people, I'm sure you know, we live in a fast paced life and they might eat yeah. a sandwich on the run, even while they're driving. And, you know, you have one mouthful or we get takeaway food. You have one mouthful and it tastes yummy. But then after that, you're talking or listening to the radio or the news or watching TV, reading the paper. You forget what the food is like. So you talked yeah. about having beautiful colors in your food. We, you know, I get them to look at the food first and then smell yeah. it, you know, and bring it up and, you know, take a mouthful consciously and chew it until it's mm -hmm. liquid. Because I said, with the fast pace, we're gulping down air and that can add to our gut problems as well. So I'm wondering Definitely. what you think of that. Yes, chewing is so important because then you actually have the saliva starting to work on breaking down the food. And by chewing, you actually stimulate more stomach acid production, which further helps break down the food. And that then stimulates bile and the pancreatic enzymes. So without the chewing motion, you actually bypass the saliva and, and minimize the amount of stomach acid and bile and pancreatic enzymes that are produced. And the interesting thing is the Japanese are very um, interested in food textures and they do a lot of studies on food textures and they've actually found that crunchy food, so chewing crunchy food actually stimulates neurogenesis, which is brain cell production. So, you know, when you think about if you're feeding your little children, children whose brains are still growing rapidly, if you're constantly feeding them those squidgy pouches of soft food, or when your elderly parents, grandparents are at a nursing home and they're only getting soft food, that's actually not stimulating brain cell production. So by actually giving your children 
crunchy food not only will it help the digestive system um, at, but it'll also really enhance brain cell production and the same thing with the elderly if we can encourage them to still be able to chew and of course dental health plays a role there that can actually go a long way to um, improving our cognitive health so yeah such an important step that many people forget because it is so simple um but it has such a profound impact on your health yeah and i'm you know i am a terrible i'm a very fast eater and i constantly have to remind myself to slow down um and chew my food because you know I, I think ever since i was little i would just kind of wolf it down and and i do notice significant impacts with my gut when i don't do that so i try and leave little reminders sometimes i'll just put you know, a little sticky note next to me, chew your food, just as a reminder. And sometimes you can put, you know, sticky notes or ribbons or something around the kitchen just as a reminder, because sometimes you do get very caught up in other things and, and forget, and it, and it will really affect the way that you digest and absorb the food yeah. in that meal. And I also think as well, because you talked about food, you know, when you make it yourself, when you make it yourself, you know exactly what's in it. And if you can go to the local farmer's market and choose it, you know, you connect with them and you're connecting with, you know, the land and Mother Earth. And then when you go home and lovingly prepare it, the food is so full of love. And then you can give thanks to everyone. I get my students say thank you to Mother Earth and thank you to the whole of the food chain. And to anyone that was involved with the food and, you know, and it's just so lovely to eat something that's homemade. And during yeah. lockdown, people were panicking in France and they were calling me, oh my God, oh my God, you know, when a lot of the busy mothers not used to being at home, the fathers are not used to being at home. And if you add children mm -hmm. into the equation, they're not used to homeschooling. So I was like, you know, get your food delivered if you haven't got time to go out or once it's there, because we would only get one hour. So you could go out and choose your food, bring it home, but make it fun and get everybody in the family involved in preparing the meal and then sit down and do a little ritual with the meal and just enjoy the meal. So do you yeah. think rituals are important or, you know, what's your take on doing family meals? Yeah, oh, definitely. I'm. Uh, we always sit down for family meal. Uh, growing up, I always did, and I have two boys, a four-year-old and an eleven-year-old. And so, my husband and my two boys, we will always sit down for a meal. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Not having a TV on or a computer or any kind of distraction, and it's a great time for conversation as well, catching up on the day, um, sharing what you, you know, a highlight of the day, perhaps something that was challenging and working through that, discussing what you were grateful for and, and also giving thanks for the food, like you said, where it came from and who um, helped you know, bring that, bring the food to the table. And I do try and get my um, kids involved in helping to prepare meals. And also I always get them um, to, we shop at a little local organic store and also get a, a vegetable box from a local farm. And so um, I'll always actually bring them along so they can see where the food is coming from and they can help pick out. And um, and then we'll often, you know, if, if we've got an obscure kind of vegetable that we haven't really used much before in the vegetable box, which is always a nice surprise. So lucky that you can just Google, you know, how to prepare this vegetable. So there's really no excuses now, is there? Because you don't need to have a 
bookcase full of recipe books. You can just go online and find all these wonderful recipes to use these interesting different vegetables. Oh, that's wonderful. And I think, you know, um, education with the children is so important and so that they can grow up and maybe help bring forth more love to the planet. And um, do you make any meals or meal plans that people could buy from you? Um, I generally, with clients, if they um, want to have specific meal plans, I'll sit with them and work through that. Um, I generally don't do kind of standard ones because, again, there's not a meal plan that would really suit every single person and their wants and yeah. needs and what's available. So I generally do do that with with clients. And, and um, sometimes someone just contacts me and says, you know, um, I feel my health is pretty good, but I need some inspiration in terms of how I can, you know, base my meals to really optimize um, my health and my nutrient intake. So then we'll often just sit down just to do meal plans. But generally, it's kind of part of, yeah, a way of uh, treating someone, um, putting together a bit of a meal plan that way. Oh, fantastic. And um, if there was one thing that you could do to change the world, what would it be? Um, gosh, I always think a better life rarely happens by accident. So don't leave the prospects of a better life to chance. And so I really believe in building your vision for a future. And so I, um, particularly when it comes to health, I really like to help support people in building a vision for their health and their family's health. And so that's something that hopefully moving forward, I can help more and more people with really building a healthy, vibrant um, future for them themselves and their families. Oh, that's wonderful. So where can people get hold of you? I will put it on the written blurb as well. Yeah, so I, um, I, I'm not on social media or anything. I'm a bit of, I always, you know, everyone says I should have been born in the 19th century. I'm a bit of a fuddy-duddy when it comes to my technology. Uh, I have a very simple website where you, where you can find me. It's um, thenutritionpractice.com.au uh, or you can email me at marika at thenutritionpractice.com.au. Um, but yes, no Facebook or Instagram or anything. I'm a very no-frills kind of practitioner that way. Very um, old-fashioned. But um, yeah, my website's probably the easiest place that people can find a little bit more about me and my contact details. That's fantastic. And there's nothing wrong with being old fashioned. And I know you're very <laughs> successful and that you have a very, very good reputation, which is absolutely wonderful. And on that note, I'd like to wish you all the very, very best for your continued success. And thank you for being on Wellness Spring today. Thank you so much, Beverly. It's been an absolute pre pleasure. And um, yes, best wishes to you as well. Thanks again for having me. Pleasure.